0: As we go to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we know that we can do nothing without your help. We cannot even read and appreciate your word if you will not open it to us by your spirit. And so we pray that you would be with us, that you would illuminate your word, and help us to behold wonderful things out of it. Hear us and help us, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's Word to the book of Luke, chapter 11, Luke, chapter 11. And we're going to read the first 13 verses of Luke, chapter 11, you can find that on page 1105 of many of our Pew Bibles. Luke is the third book of the New Testament between Mark and John. And so we want to think about this text together and think about how Jesus teaches His disciples to pray. So Luke chapter 11, beginning our reading at verse one and reading through verse 13, and let's pay careful attention for this is God's own word. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, "'Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples.' And he said to them, "'When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, "'your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent, or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him?" Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Um, One of the beautiful things about this passage is that image of Jesus praying and the disciples hearing Jesus pray. And then saying to Jesus, teach us to pray. Um, it must have been something to listen to Jesus pray. Uh, we, we're given a prayer that Christ gave in John 17 where we get to hear our Lord praying. Um, but there is a certain time where you know, we, we recognize that when we read God's word, we, we can understand something of what was happening. But it's not quite the same as being there and hearing that prayer that Jesus made in John 17, hearing the way he addresses his father hearing the way that he speaks. Um, we, we, we can communicate something in the way we pray. Uh, my grandfather, whenever he would pray, when he would end and say, in Jesus' name, there was a gravity with which he said the name that I wish I could emulate, but I can't. Um, he just would convey what he thought of Jesus' name in his prayer. Just the way he concluded, you could tell the 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 weight of that name for him. Um, and there, there is something about that, isn't there, as people pray. And you can just imagine what it would have been like to hear the prayers of our Lord and how that would have prompted his disciples to say, Lord, teach us to pray. Um, and in many ways, the Lord's prayer is an answer to that request. Um, Jesus gives them a simple prayer, but it teaches them in that simple prayer a whole basic theology of prayer. Um, and that's really where we've come in this study of the Heidelberg Catechism, to thinking about the theology of prayer, to learn something about what it teaches us. And it was one of the commitments of the Reformation that where were God's people the most deficient in what they knew? Um, they were convinced that they don't understand the Ten Commandments, they don't understand what the Apostles' Creed teaches, and they don't really understand the Lord's Prayer. Um, At the time of the Reformation, there were people who didn't even know the Lord's Prayer, who wouldn't have been able to say it themselves. Um, And almost every catechism of the Reformation made it its business to teach people those three central things, to teach them the Ten Commandments, to teach them the Apostles' Creed, and to teach them the Lord's Prayer. Um, As only Martin Luther could, in his introduction to his small catechism, he talks with, with his usual fire about, Uh, the deplorable condition of the church that he found touring around. In his introduction to his small catechism, he wrote, "...that deplorable, miserable condition which I discovered lately, when I too was a visitor, has forced me to urge and urged me to prepare this catechism. Mercy! Good God, what manifold misery I beheld! The common people, especially in the villages, have no knowledge whatever of Christian doctrine. And alas, many pastors are altogether incapable and incompetent to teach, so much so that one is ashamed to speak of it. Nevertheless, all maintain that they are Christians, have been baptized, and receive the holy sacraments, yet they do not understand and cannot even recite either the Lord's Prayer or the Creed or the Ten Commandments. They live like dumb brutes and irrational hogs. And yet now that the gospel has come, they have nicely learned to abuse all liberty like experts. Um, Just keep that in mind that I've never gone so far as to call you dumb brutes and irrational hogs. So, you know, Martin Luther sets the bar fairly low about talking about his people, but you can hear his passion, right? That people can't even recite the Lord's Prayer. I think of the blessing that our children who grow up in the church, one of the first things they learn to do is to recite the Lord's Prayer, to recite the Apostles' Creed, to learn these things by heart. Martin Luther's saying, the people I met can't even do that. They have no idea what Christian doctrine is all about. They call themselves Christians just because they go to church, because they've been baptized, and because they come to the Lord's Table. But other than that, they don't know anything. Um, and he said, the only thing we're really good at is abusing our liberty, probably because we don't know the Ten Commandments. Um, Anybody who thinks Luther was not concerned with righteous living should read that introduction uh, to his small catechism. This was the passion of the reformers to say, we need to understand these things. We need to understand the law of God. We need to understand the promises of the gospel of God. We need to understand uh, how to pray and know what we're, we're to pray for. And this is the Lord's teaching to his disciples in response to that request. Lord, teach us to pray. And so we've always recognized that there's a basic theology of prayer being taught in this simple little prayer. It's not simply a form to repeat, um, but it teaches us some profound things about prayer, why we need to pray, what our prayers ought to look like, what they should cover, and gives us a form that can serve as a foundation for all the other prayers. So in this small prayer, the Lord gives us a basic theology of prayer. And that's really where the catechism starts, to think about the implications of those basics, uh, to think about the, the four basics. Really, we have four questions in this Lord's Day, and they get down to the four basic things about prayer that we need to know. And so we want tonight just to kind of trace those basics by, by just going by those four questions and using that as our introduction before we get into, Lord willing, the content of the Lord's Prayer as we go on. So what what do the four questions bring before us? First the necessity of prayer, uh, then the character of prayer, then the content of prayer, and finally the form of prayer that God gives to us. Um, We're going to spend most of the time on the first two. Um, So if I I say point three and we're late in the hour, don't despair. Um, besides, you don't want to get on the road and get back right back in the rain, do you? Um, so anyway, the first two will be the longest, so don't despair if we get uh, to the end. But three and four are important, the content and the form. So that's how we want to handle this, the necessity, the character, the content, and the form of prayer. Uh, the Catechism starts at that basic level, why do Christians need to pray? Um, prayer is the natural, the natural way to follow on the end of the discussion of the Ten Commandments because we said at the end of the Ten Commandments, what is one of the important features of the law is that the more we preach the law, the more we will understand that we need to never stop praying to God for the grace and help of the Holy Spirit so that we may be renewed more and more after the image of God. A consideration of the law leads naturally into a consideration of prayer. Um, and why is prayer necessary? Why do Christians need to pray? Because prayer is the most important, important part of the thankfulness God requires of us, and also because God will give His grace and Holy Spirit only to those who continually and with heartfelt longing ask God for these gifts and thank Him for them. Uh, why is prayer necessary for the Christian? Um, the, in the first place, it's necessary because it expresses our gratitude to God. It's the most important part of the thankfulness that we owe to God. It's in our prayers that we really express how thankful we are to God. Um, Our lives in service to God express something of that gratitude, but prayer is when we put that into words before our God, we speak to Him directly. And we understand that from our lives, don't we? I mean, there are many ways you can express gratitude to someone for something they've done, but the most basic and first thing we do is say to them, thank you. Right? There are all all kinds of other things that show that we're grateful for what they've done, but there's something basic, isn't there, about saying thank you to someone when they've done us a good, when they've done us a service? And, And likewise, with our God, there's something basic to saying thank you to Him for what He's done, for all the many things that he's done. People who recognize how much they've received from our God um, should be thankful to him for all that he has given us. Ursinus, one of the principal authors of the catechism, puts it this way, no one who has faith, no one has faith who is not thankful for it. For all those who are possessed of true faith taste the grace of God, and those who have tasted the grace of God show themselves thankful to God for it. There's no one who has tasted the grace of God that can be ungrateful for it. We express our gratitude to God in going before Him in prayers. And just as it's the most important part of the thanksgiving we owe to God, it can sometimes be kind of a a way of measuring our own level of gratitude. Whether we are truly expressing gratitude to God for all He's done. If we're slack in our prayer lives, it probably means that we're also slack in our gratefulness to God. Uh, We've become forgetful about how grateful we ought to be. Um, One person said slackness and inactivity in our prayer life probably indicates that we are losing sight of how much we have to be thankful for. Um, And I'm speaking this to myself every bit as much to you. Pastors don't just get up in the pulpit and like to lay guilt trips on people and then walk out untroubled. Uh, This has troubled me before maybe it troubles you. That when we don't pray, it's a measure of our ingratitude. That we've somehow become convinced that we don't need the grace of God or haven't received as much as we have received. It's meditating on how much we have to be thankful for that helps to drive us to prayer. Um, And if our prayer life is slack, maybe it's an opportunity for us to reflect on how ungrateful we've been to God, all right? We, we hate it when someone does us a kindness and we forget to say thank you or we're slow in saying thank you. How much worse it is when God has done so much for us uh, to be slack or lazy in how we uh, go to our God because we have so much to be grateful for, so much grace that He pours on us in so many different ways day after day, the Bible, when it speaks of our salvation, speaks of it alternately as something that has been done, that is being done, and that will be done. And that reminds us of, that there is a, a constant aspect to the salvation that is being worked for us by our God. That happens all the time. Uh, God is tending to our salvation all the time. God is sanctifying us by His Spirit all the time. Uh, he is working in us and through us to conform us to His image. He's making provision for us, body and soul, all the time, Um, and we sometimes get forgetful of those things. And prayer is an opportunity for us to remind ourselves just how much God has done for us, just how much we need Him and how thankful we should be for all of the rich and varied blessings that our God gives to us. Prayer is necessary for thanksgiving, for expressing our gratitude to God. Um, Prayer is also necessary for our supplications, to make our requests known to God, right? So it's the first part of the thankfulness we owe to God, but we also need the grace and help of the Holy Spirit all the time. Uh, When we pray to God asking for things, we are acknowledging before Him that we are a needy people, that there are things that we need that we cannot provide for ourselves. We cannot provide for ourselves God's grace. We cannot provide for ourselves God's Holy Spirit. Those are gifts that only He can give, and if they're to be given, He must give them. Um, And what does the Catechism remind us? That God will give His grace and Holy Spirit only to those who continually and with heartfelt longing ask God for these gifts. Um, God will only give them to those who pray continually. That is picking up the language of the scriptures, isn't it? To pray without ceasing. So give yourself a report card. How are you doing at praying without ceasing? Um, Or even how do we think about that, right? How do we think about praying without ceasing? Is it really possible for us to do that? Um, You know, is this one of those texts where we immediately say, well, God says that, but that's not really what He means, he says, pray without ceasing, but of course, that's not what that means. I mean, we, we understand the struggle because if we really tried to pray and never, it meant you can never stop praying, you always have to be engaged in praying, it would mean you cannot do any of the other things that God has called you to do, right? It would be an all-encompassing occupation of your time. At the same time, the scripture says that more than once, right? Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. He says in ephesians six eighteen, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication so how are we to understand this well i think being continual in prayer reminds us that we are a continually needing people we need to pray continually because we need things continually right we can never be as a people in a place where we say i've prayed enough i've got everything i need And I'll call God again when I'm needing something else, right? I, as a Christian, never stop needing God. I am in constant need of His grace. I am in constant need of the help of His Holy Spirit. And even if we wanted to quibble about any of those other petitions, right, which of us would ever have the temerity to say, I've got enough grace and I've got enough of the Holy Spirit. I don't need more. I think every Christian recognizes we always need more grace. We always need the help of the Holy Spirit, We're to pray continually because we are in need continually. We have spiritual needs that we always need. We have physical needs that we always need. There are times that we are so cast down we have to pray so that we might be lifted up. Calvin talks about that beautifully when he's commenting on praying without ceasing. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17 he says, On being cast down and laid low, we are raised up again by prayers. Because we lay upon God what burdened us. There are every day, nay, every moment, many things that may disturb our peace and mar our joy. He, for this reason, bids us pray without ceasing. Sometimes we, we stumble into God's presence just overwhelmed by what we face in life. We're there because we are in desperate need. And I love how Calvin says, there are things every moment that burden us down. And one of the things prayer helps us to do is lift us up. Because we lay the burdens that are so, much, so often too much for us before someone who they're not too much for. Um, our God has a limitless ability to deal with the things that burden us. It's the, the wonderful reminders in Scripture that the impossible is easy for God that there's nothing too hard for Him. And so when we go before Him burdened with our need, we meet a God who can meet that need with His grace. Uh, We need to pray continually when we are, especially when we're down, because we need God to lift us up. But even when we're not down, the Scripture reminds us we still need to be continually in prayer. Because if we're not down, if we're feeling good, that too is a gift of God that he's given to us. I think sometimes it's easier for us to be so oppressed in life that we go to God in prayer because we are conscious of the fact that we cannot carry the weights that we are under and we have to go to God. We need his help. We recognize that in our lives. I think the danger is when we think things are going well that we don't really think we need to pray. We treat prayer as the thing I need when things aren't going well, but not the thing I need when things are just fine. When things are fine, I'm okay, I'll do it myself. When I get in real trouble, then I go to God. Um, I, I find this in my own life at times that I, I, treat, I can treat prayer like I put it in a case and it's a break in case of emergency, right? This will be there if I have a real emergency, otherwise I'm just going to kind of carry on. On my own. But the scriptures remind us that we not only need to pray when we're burdened down so that we get the grace and help of God in our need, but we also need to go to God continually because even when things are going well, we need to go to God and be reminded why things are going well. If things are going well in our lives, it's a measure of His grace, it's a measure of the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we need to give thanks to God that things are going well. And Calvin brings this out, interestingly, in his comments on Ephesians 6.18. So in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he talked about what we do when we're we're burdened down. Um, We need to go to God continually in prayer. And then when he goes to Ephesians 6.18, he says, why does Paul say we need to go continually in prayer? He says, when everything flows on prosperously, and when we are easy and cheerful, we seldom feel any strong excitement to prayer. Rather, we never flee to God, but when we are driven by some kind of distress, Paul, therefore, desires us to allow no opportunity to pass, on no occasion to neglect prayer, so that praying at all times is the same thing as praying both in prosperity and in adversity. And I think that's a really helpful way of thinking about praying continually. We need to pray when things are going well, and we need to pray when things are going badly, which means we need to pray all the time. We always have prayer requests that we need to lift up to God. We need His grace and His Holy Spirit in good times and bad times. So our continual prayer should reflect our sense of our continual need for grace and our continual need to give thanksgiving to God for what He's given. And the wonderful thing about prayer and seeking the face of God is that when we pray, it creates a kind of positive feedback loop of gratitude. It's interesting that the catechism question on why do we need to pray begins with gratitude and ends with gratitude, that God gives the grace and help of His Spirit to those who continue to ask Him and thank Him for these gifts. So it almost creates a kind of repeat cycle in the life of the Christian when we're constantly going to God in prayer. Um, we go to God recognizing that we have been given the grace and the help of the Holy Spirit. We can thank Him for those gifts. And it reminds us in His presence how much we need the grace and the help of His Holy Spirit, which makes us ask for the grace and help of His Holy Spirit. And when we ask, He gives us the grace and help of His Holy Spirit. And so we can be thankful for the gifts that He's given to us. You see how this just creates a cycle of gratitude in the life of the Christian, that God is a God who hears and answers prayer. Um, Ursinus said, all those who are possessed of true faith taste the grace of God, and those who have tasted the grace of God show themselves thankful to God for it and desire it more and more. Romans five five tells us the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Um, that's why we need to pray. Um, and so if we need to pray, what, what is the character of our prayer? What should our prayers look like? Um, That's what question 117 asks, how does God want us to pray so that He will listen to us? Uh, First, we must pray from the heart to no other than the one true God who has revealed Himself to us in His Word, asking for everything He has commanded us to ask of Him. Uh, We must pray from the heart. They must be the expression of the true desires of our heart. We could say that the true heart is where prayer begins, that we're earnestly desiring these things. Uh, that must have been something to hear Jesus pray, to hear the expression of His heart being expressed to His Father. Um, and the things that He asked for were the true desires of His heart. Um, it's, it's where the disciples could hear the heart of our Lord as He expressed His heart to His Father. I think that, in a large part, prompted them to ask, teach us to pray. How do we express the desires of our hearts, Lord, the way you express the desires of your heart? Um, It's the heart that is committed to these things. Prayer must be offered in truth, that it's truly the desires of our hearts that are being expressed to our God. We sang Psalm 77, which is a prayer, um, and we hear the true expression of the heart in that prayer the heart that is calling out to God from the sense of need, those are, those are true prayers. That's what God is looking for, right? People who worship Him in truth, who earnestly desire the things that they ask for. That's what Jesus said in John 4, the Father was looking for people who would worship Him in spirit and truth, who would offer Him prayers as the desires of their hearts. Prayers are from the true heart, and they're offered to the true God to the one true God who can hear and answer prayer in the name of the one he has sent to be our intercessor. I remember a number of years ago uh, during a new year time the Pope released a video for the new year and I had the misfortune of seeing the video. It's never good as a reformed pastor to watch videos from the Pope. I knew it before I watched it that it was not going to be a good idea, I watched it anyway. Um, and in this, in this video, he said, that sincere, his request for the new year was that sincere dialogue between people of different faiths may produce the fruits of peace and justice. And as this voiceover was being done, there was a video that featured a Buddhist monk, a Jewish rabbi, a Muslim cleric, and a Roman priest. Um, and he said, we, we should want this all together because although we have different faiths, we all believe in love and we are all children of God. Um, now, now, given my sermon about charity this morning, I don't want to be uncharitable. None of that is wrong in and of itself, right? Um, but the problem is the Lord doesn't hear the prayers of so many of those people in the video, right? A Buddhist monk is not offering prayers to the true God. Um, he's offering prayers to a non-God, Um, The Muslim cleric is not offering prayers to the true God. He's offering prayers to a false God. Um, And and even the Jewish rabbi and the Roman priest, even though they are representatives of the true God, they misunderstand and misrepresent the true God and the word that he has proclaimed. Um, And so there's plenty of room for us to try to work together towards common goals, but we can't pretend that we all really are the same and I'm not saying the Pope was saying this, but it seemed to be the underlying kind of suggestion that we all sort of are all children of God and we all basically serve God at the end of the day. Um, and the fact of the matter is God only can be come, be come to through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one true God and there's only one kind of prayers that he hears, prayers that are offered to him as God the Father who's been revealed in the, world, in the word in the name of Jesus Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Our prayers have to be to the true God to be heard, um, and they have to be true to His will. Um, that's what kind of prayers we are looking for that express the true desires of the heart to the one true God and are prayed according to His will, asking Him the things that He's commanded us to ask of Him. Uh, the Lord has said we may come with anything that we want to come Him with, He's not restraining our prayers in that way, but there are things that He wants us to ask of Him. There are things particularly that He wants us to ask from Him, and that He's revealed in His Word to us that anyone who asks for these things will receive them. And these are the kinds of prayers that the Lord wants to hear, Uh, prayers that are true to His will. And so truth is very important to God in his prayers, that our prayers express the true desires of our hearts to the true God according to his true will, as revealed in Scripture. Truth is very important to our prayers. But we're also reminded in God's Word that humility is very important in our prayers. Our prayers must be made in truth. Our prayers must be made in humility. The question reminds us that, second, we must fully recognize our need and misery, so that we humble ourselves in God's majestic presence. Um, that we not only pray in truth, but that we pray in humility. And this is just as simple for us, I think, as saying pray like the tax collector, not like the Pharisee. Right? Luke tells us that story in Luke 18, 9 through 14. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Uh, Prayers that are offered by those who trust in their own righteousness and exalt themselves will not be heard by God. God hears the prayers of the humble. Um, God is totally opposed to pride. I think it's significant in the scriptures that God says to us three different times that he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He says that in Proverbs 3.34. It's quoted for us in James 4.6. It's quoted again in 1 Peter 5.5. God opposes the proud. Um, I remember hearing a pastor say once, You know, we have an adversary who's roaming around like a lion seeking whom he will devour. But if we're proud, we make an enemy that doesn't need to be an enemy. We turn God into an opponent by our pride. Um, And we have enough trouble in the world with those who are against us without making God our adversary by our pride. It's, It's an adversary we need not have. We have to be sure that we are a humble people, um, that we are not proud but humble. And it comes with this wonderful promise that if you humble yourselves before the Lord, He will exalt you. Um, that's what we want as the people of God for our prayers to be filled with humility, recognizing who God is and who we are before Him as we come into His presence. And He also wants our prayers to be made with certainty. They need to be true, they need to be humble and they need to be made with certainty, right? Third, we must rest on this unshakable foundation that even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord as He has promised us in His Word. We can have certainty of what we pray because, not because of who we are, but because of who God is, right? It's that, it's that great Recognition in the prayer of Daniel in chapter 9, verse 18, when he says, For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. We can have certainty of our prayers because we know our God. We know what kind of God we are addressing, who is great in mercy. And we can have certainty because this great God will grant us what we ask in Christ's name. Right? That was the promise that Jesus made to his people in John 14, 13, and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I think we're sometimes quick to throw conditions in here where Christ has not put any um, because we've recognized so many people have used verses like this and misused them not reading them in concert with other verses in the Bible. And because they misuse them, then we come along and almost act like Jesus didn't mean what He said. He said, ask anything, but He doesn't really mean ask anything. He says He will give it, but He doesn't really mean He will give it. We we apologize sort of for this language. And it's true that we need to read Scripture in the light of the rest of the Scriptures Um, We need all of Scripture to inform our theology, but we shouldn't let our desire to do that detract from the glory of what Jesus is saying to His disciples here. Um, That you should ask with confidence that I will give you whatever you ask in my name. Um, That we have a God who not only hears, but answers prayer. And so we should pray with that kind of confidence that especially when we pray the things that God has commanded us to ask of, we should have no uncertainty of whether He will do it. Right? When God says, if you confess your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness, you shouldn't pray for forgiveness and then wonder if He hears. Because He's revealed His will to you in that. That those who ask Him of that in Christ's name, they will receive it. You don't have to doubt whether God will give that to you. We should have certainty in our prayers because of who God is and because of what God has promised that He will always glorify His name through our prayers. And when we recognize that God will certainly grant us the thing He's commanded us to ask for, then we should pray those things, right? And so that leads into the next question, then what, God, what has God commanded us to pray for? What should the content of our prayers look like? What has God commanded us to ask of Him in prayer? Um, and question 18, 118 raises the answer, raises the question, and the answer is very simple. Everything we need, spiritually and physically, as embraced in the prayer Christ our Lord Himself taught us. It's a relatively simple answer. It has profound implications but it's a simple answer. It's beautiful in that it reminds us God wants us to pray for everything we need for our souls and for our bodies because God has promised to give us everything we need for our souls and for our bodies. Um, The the difficulty is we don't always clearly see what it is that we need. I thought we could We're not going to, so you can relax. But we could go around the room and say, what does everyone need? What do you need today for your soul? What do you need today for your body? And some of those answers would be very similar for many of us. We might come up with many similar spiritual needs. We probably all have family and friends who don't know the Lord that we want. We desperately want them to come to faith and know the Lord and love Him. We ourselves know the the deficiencies in our faith and the deficiencies in our Christian lives and we want the Lord to meet those things. A lot of those spiritual needs would be the same. Um, A lot of the needs for our physical lives might be the same, but we would also have many unique and individual needs that we could express both spiritually and physically. And so we're helped in Scripture because God helps us to see what it is that we need for our bodies and for our souls. That's what the Lord's Prayer really helps us to do, is help us to see our need not as we think them, but as God reveals them to us, Uh, to see in those prayers everything we need for soul and body, to pray as Christ said we ought to pray. And we're so helped in that, aren't we, that we're not left to kind of fend for ourselves um, because there would be both comfort and a burden in this answer if we had to then figure out what it is that we need. And we're constantly wondering, am I praying for the right things for my soul? Am I praying for the right things for my body? How do I know? How do I know that this is God's will or that's God's will? Christ says, I'm going to demystify all of that for you. I'll tell you what you need for your soul. I'll tell you what you need for your body. And I'll give you a prayer that encompasses all of it. And that's the form of the prayer that He gives us. Luke records a portion of that prayer in Luke 11, the full form of the prayer as we pray it comes from Matthew 6. But it teaches us the form that's to be the foundation, how to understand our needs for our souls, how to understand our needs for our bodies so that we know how we ought to pray so that God will hear those prayers. And that's why the rest of the time in the Catechism going forward will be spent mining the riches of that prayer. And helping us to see what it is that we need for soul and body and what the Lord is willing to grant. So why don't we close our time this evening by standing together and we'll all pray the Lord's prayer together. So stand with me and let's pray this prayer together. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven